This is the account of the heaven and the earth when they were to not ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. So Jesus, we come uh, to this scripture today. We come to um, this idea that is like birthed out of your heart, which is the Sabbath rest. Um, and God, I just pray like uh, just with my words, like, like loaves and fishes, God, would you multiply them? God, would you speak through your scripture this morning? God, as we, as we, talk, as we talk through like how you've, you've created us and, and talk through work, I pray that you um, that your presence would just become aware, like we would become aware of your presence this morning. That you are not distant, like is the psalm we read this morning, that you guard over us. So Holy Spirit, right now, would you just make us aware of your presence? We love you, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so today's our last teaching in the series of uh, Sabbath, what's called Breathing Different Air. And we, it, uh, the practice of Sabbath, if you've never done it before, if, if you're like new and you're like, what are you guys talking about? Uh, we actually put the teachings up online, so if you want to catch up, like you're invited to do that. But we really believe that Sabbath is a practice that God puts into place, like for our good and for like his glory. And it's something that, that we build into the rhythm of our life to like anchor ourselves towards God, that we're exploring as a community how to orient our loves towards Jesus. And we really believe that the spiritual pra- practices actually like, produce a flourishing heart after Jesus. Like what he means when he says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Our definition of Sabbath is, uh, comes from Pete Scazzaro. A biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, we enjoy rest, we practice delight, and we contemplate God. And in this morning, our teaching, we want to talk through, last week we talked about how Sabbath was a rhythm, a rhythm of the week, and also like resistance against um, resistance against uh, the way that culture wants to form us. But this, t- this day, we want to talk about what about the other six days of the week. We want to talk about Sabbath and work. Sabbath and work. What does God have to say about what we find ourselves doing the other six days of the week? What does God think about that? What does God, um, through his scriptures, have in mind for the way that we work? And so just to have a little fun together, um, because we like to have fun around here. Um, what I'd like you to do is whoever you're around, maybe they're like two or three per- people, um, I just want you to like turn towards each other and I want you to share um, what is the current thing you do the other six days of the week, whatever work it is. Um, and that's okay. If you're like, I'm retired, that's, that's great. Be that. If you are like out of work, we're glad that's that, like share that as well. Um, if you are uh, a student, share that as well. Whatever you find yourselves doing out of the six days, just share that. And the second thing you're going to share is what was your very first job? Okay, so whoever's around you, that's the two things. What do you currently do? And what, is, what was your very first job that you got paid for? And if there's somebody alone, just grab them. Pull them in uh, really quickly. You guys got two minutes. Ready? That's how it's not long, okay? Not long stories, not long this. Just what is your current place of work and what was your very first job?
All right, I'll give you like one more minute. One more minute. All right, so start to wrap it up. Hopefully everybody got to go. Is there any groups still going that are like, I need more time? No? No? All right. Awesome. Okay, how many of you, like, you enjoyed your very first job? You enjoyed it? Anybody? A few? Okay. Would you work it again, maybe? Okay, no, yeah, I see what that is. Awesome. My first job, uh, I grew up in Huntington Beach, California, and my very first job, I was 16. I got my driver's license right away. I got a job right away. I was really excited to have some independence. And I, my very first job was Jamba Juice um, on Main Street in Huntington Beach. I don't know if you've ever been there before. That was, the, that was my very first place of employment. Um, I got trained the first week, and then my very first day on the job, both managers quit and just left, like in a protest type of thing. And so my first day on the job was just us, and like I just learned how to make shakes, and it was it was insane. So ba- the rule where you get one shake a day that was out the window. We got like three, um, and by the by the last again I'm 16, so maturity level there. But the last day the last day of that week we went to the attic of this Jamba Juice and found the like the full size banana costumes, and me and my friend were like, you know what we're gonna do? We're going to wear these banana costumes and we're going to register for uh, the volleyball tournament on the beach today to promote Jamba Juice. And that's, of course, what we did the first week on the job until the new manager came next week and said, you guys aren't doing that anymore. So that was my first job is Jamba Juice. Hopefully, like, as you remember your experience of that. But we are talking today about Sabbath and work. Sabbath is, is the practice. We're taking one day, the seventh day, as unto the Lord. And then the next six days, we join the rhythm of God in what we do as part of our jobs. And typically, like sometimes we think when we come to a church, we like the majority of our time is not here. The majority of our time as humans is, is working with our hands wherever you find yourself doing. And God actually has a lot to say about that. And that's what we want to look at today. So I'm going to do really quickly just a brief like biblical theology of work um, and what God has to say. So we're going to start where everything starts in Genesis 1. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 1, the very first verse. It'll also be on the screens if you don't have it. But it says this, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like an idiom from top to bottom, the sky and the land. Literally everything in the beginning, everything God created. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the deep of the surface, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We get this picture of a world, and we're introduced to a world that's not yet functioning. It's formless and empty. The way I grew up, it was formless and void. That was the passage I, I remember. It's, it's formless and empty in the NIV. And this is, a, the original language here in Hebrew is this poetic term. The term is tohu wabohu. Try saying it. Tohu wabohu. It sounds awesome. It sounds something like Star Wars-esque. One of the ways... Like the scholars will say what this word means, formless and empty, formless and void, tohu abohu, is it means barren and unhabited. 
So like the picture we kind of get in our minds is like an alien wasteland. It's something that's just not used. It's not functioning how it should. God in six days works and he forms and he gives function to the tohu abohu. Right? There's sun and sky. There's day and there's night. It begins to function properly. He calls it very good. And on the seventh day, he rests. And that's what we looked at last Sunday in our teaching. And when he rests, it doesn't mean that he just took a nap from all his hard labor. It means he delighted in his creation. He delighted in what he just made. He drew joy from the fruit of his labor. And as we first talk about like the topic of work this morning and how Sabbath plays a role in that, it's important to know that this passage, like these stories of scriptures are not written in a vacuum. What I mean by that is they didn't just fall out of the sky without a context. They have a context, a place in time which they were written. Human authors inspired by the Spirit wrote these accounts down. It's a human and divine word. And we don't know precisely when Genesis was written, but we do understand the context in which this story is taking place. The Genesis account that we read today seems to have, is having a conversation with other creation narratives at its time. There was other people saying, no, this is how we see that the world was created. This is how we see meaning. And the Genesis account is saying, this is is who God is. One of the most popular um, ancient Near East creation narratives at the time of the writing of Genesis is a story called Enuma Elish. And it's from Babylon, so there's a little history in this. Enuma Elish from Babylon. And in that, it tells Babylon had its own creation narrative. And in that Enuma Elish, we find the god Marduk, and I'll show you a picture of him because he's really cool, crazy looking with that beard. There's Marduk, the god Marduk. um, All the other gods come to him and they start complaining about their workload. So here's the story of the creation myth. All these other gods come to the god Marduk complaining about their workload. And Marduk battles the forces of chaos, depicted as a dragon called Tiamat, defeats her, and from her dead bloody body, all of heaven and earth is created. Super classy, right? So that's the story. He comes up, Marduk comes up with this ingenious plan to outsource all the labor from the other gods. He comes up with this plan to kill Quingu, and from his blood, he shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. So in that picture, what is, the, what is man's value? One, you guys are all savages, right? Two, your work is so that the gods don't have to. We toil and labor so that they don't have to do it. Ancient myths have this basic idea. The gods are tired, they're burdened, and they don't want to work anymore. Work is beneath them. And humans are created as cheap slave labor to serve the gods who don't want to work anymore. The gods can now chill out because the savages are taking care of it. But here in Genesis, the story that the Hebrews tell, here in Genesis, there's a different sort of creation account. And this story stands in sharp contrast to the other stories at that time that were around. In this story, we have the true creator God, not like Marduk. He doesn't despise work. He doesn't despise it. In fact, he seems to enjoy it. Six days he creates. And what does God say after every day that he creates? It's it's very good. We have a different picture of the true creator God. God creates humanity, but he doesn't create humanity to serve him. He creates like the world for humans to flourish and to partner with him. 
The true God doesn't create savages like Marduk, but he creates partners. God is looking for partners. God is looking for partners, not puppets, but partners in creation. Think about for, like, if you have a business, think about the difference between an employer and a partner. The difference between an employer and a partner. An employer is paid to perform a job, and they get compensated for that, but a partner helps steer the company, right? A partner reaps the benefits of, of like, the fruit of that company. So Genesis 1, 26, just keep going through our, like, theology of work. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just with that little bit of history of like other creation narratives, this just sounds so starkly different to that, right? Like it's this is, God made them in his image. We use that phrase often, the image of God. What does that actually mean though? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? The word there, the Hebrew word is Salem. The Hebrew word is Salem, and it can be translated as idol or statue. The word Salem, when it says the image of God, it's, it's God's Salem. And an idol or a statue is a visible representation of an invisible being. Think of like temples that you've seen on the History Channel. You walk in, you see all these little statues of the God that they are worshiping in, the statue, in, the, in that temple. And the idea is that statue represents what's, what it represents. It, it's a visible representation of the invisible thing. And what God says here in Genesis 1 is that he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our, like Salem is what he says. We are God's, in a sense, statues. Like it's, it's a picture. It's a, it's, we are God's statues, his Salem, put into him. Not the other narratives we see, not everybody was Salem. Salem Elohim was only reserved for a certain position, and that was a king. Pharaoh, in this context, was called Amon Re, meaning the image of Re, the sun god. And as the king and ruler over his people, he was positioned in a unique relationship, Pharaoh was, towards the gods. And what is that all humans are made in the image of God. All humans are Salem. All humans are kings and queens, statues of God. This is a radical, like, if you're reading this in the first, in like ancient Near East, this is radical. It's not just Pharaoh who's the Salem Elohim. It's all of you. It's this radical message of that. And notice that in verse 26, throw it back up there. Um, we're made in their likeness for what? So that they may rule. So that they may rule. And the idea of that, rule means to reign or have dominion. It means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. God is looking for partners representative kings and queens to participate in the flourishing of the world. So, okay, we're kings and queens, God's Salem, God's image in the world. Um, but like for me, like I live on a cul-de-sac in the burbs of Bakersfield. Like, so what does that mean here? What does that mean for us now? Genesis 1.28, if you're in your Bibles or it'll be up here. So it says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Theologians call this the cultural mandate. It's a command and a commission to create culture, and this commission is for us today still. To be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. Two parts of this cultural mandate. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, actually, I'll go over that next. First one's this. Be fruitful and increase in number. And at face value, that might mean just for you, like, oh, that's having kids and growing a family. And of course, this is what it means on a face value, like raising kids. Some of you have raised kids. Fruitful and multiply or an increase in number doesn't just mean getting married and having kids. It's more than that. Um, and one of the ways we approach this, like, did Jesus fulfill the creation mandate? We would say he is, but Jesus never had kids and he was celibate. The phrase to help us understand means, is in the next phrase, which is to um, fill the earth, to fill the earth. Adam and Eve are to take their little family and to make it into something more, a society, eventually into a city, a little seed that grows into a large tree, a small family that grows into communities and then grows into cities, to be fruitful and to increase in number should have a holistic commission that feels like blooming. It's, it's flourishing. It's blooming. Um, we continue that creation project in ordering chaos as we fill the earth. This is a lot like Jesus' great commission at the end of Matthew 5, which is go into the nations, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a continuation of to be fruitful, to fill the earth. Next is to subdue it. This has a picture of actually harnessing something that's raw. Think of something that's raw and untamed. The idea of subduing it is to actually order it, to make it functioning. It's like, look, there's a river. Do something with it. Look, there's a forest. Do something with it. God takes the tohu wabohu. He creates something life-giving and sustaining out of it. And we emulate God when we do the same thing as we, as we fill the earth and subdue it. This, of course, means that we don't abuse um, it doesn't mean that we destroy creation, but what it means is that we take raw materials and we make something useful out of it. I don't know what you do as a job, but I just want you like for a second, think of that. Think about your work as like a bunch of raw materials that you're putting it together. So maybe it's like, maybe it's, it's, it's the raw materials as ideas and you are forming them into something. Um, maybe whatever that is, just think about your job for a second. Does it look like a bunch of raw materials? that what you kind of do is you form it into something. So to recap, uh, we're created by God's, God to be partners in his creation, to be fruitful and increase in number, to, to fill the earth and subdue it. And lastly, for our purposes today, God, God's partners are given a task. And that task is to work. Let's look here in Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is a cosmic picture of creation. Genesis 2 like hones into Eden and, and how God created humanity and the garden. Genesis 2, 5 through 6 says this, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plants had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. In Genesis 2, it's incomplete. There's no one to work the ground. No rain has come to sprout up. Skip down to verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. 
There's no one to work the ground. God's looking for someone to work the ground. He forms man. The Hebrew, there's a, there's a plan word there that I love. Um, God formed Adam from the Adama, which is the earth. And so it's like earth man, like earthling. We're formed from the dust of the earth. We're part of this creation. And then skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took man that he just created and he put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work. To work it and take care of it. <clears throat> Humanity is to work the garden. Sometimes I think we think of like Adam and Eve in the garden, just like sipping Mai Tais and sitting in hammocks. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's what it was like. It was paradise, but there was, there was work to be done. God's saying like, it's time to work. It's time to cultivate the earth, to do what I do. Um, the word there for work is the word abad. And in verse 15, that can be translated as service. Work is service. Service to God, service to creation, service to one another. But, and this is important here, is that work and service, also in the Bible, this word for, for work, abad, it also gets translated in the Old Testament as worship. As worship. It's the same word that we use in the temple to worship God. And I want you just to think about that for a second. The word that is in, in Genesis 2 for how we work in the garden, throughout the rest of the story, it can get translated as well as worship. When's the last time you woke up like, and went to your job and go, like, I'm going to worship God today? Like, often we don't think of work as, as worship. Um, the word worship in our context, and especially in America, in the West, almost exclusively gets relegated to singing. And that's part of it, but it's not the whole. Like singing is part of worship, but it's not the whole. In Genesis, the worldview, and this is really important for us today, like what I want to hone in on, the worldview of Genesis is all of life is worship. Like what you do in the six days after Sabbath is an act of worship unto the Lord. Your work this week that you are going into, unless you're a teacher and you get tomorrow off, kudos. Um, <clears throat> that's, it's, it's actually God sees this. And the scriptures paint it as an act, of, an act of worship. It can be. And it's an invitation into that. The, the picture of Adam and Eve in the garden is they are working. Their hands are dirty with the garden and it's worship to God. And God puts them in it to work it and also to take care of it. The word there is shamar, and we're doing a lot of Hebrew words today, but just trying to get like a picture of what work is. The word there for take care of it is shamar. It means to guard, to watch over, throw that up there, um, to protect creation. Our call as humans in scripture is to take God's creation, and though yes, like there's, there's environmental reality to this, but the full picture of shamar is to guard over, and then the other part of that is to actually cultivate it is to develop it, is to draw something out of it. I love Tim Keller's um, definition of work. He says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. I love that definition of work. It's actually taking raw material of God's creation in such a way that helps the world in general people in particular, to thrive and flourish. And we see this rhythm all over the place. <clears throat> Farmers take soil and seed, and they rearrange it into a crop that grows and that feeds and sustains other people. Nurses and doctors, if you're, you take knowledge and wisdom 
of creation and you rearrange it to meet specific needs for those who are hurting and need healing. If you're a builder in here, you take trees and you take rocks and you rearrange them into homes that people live and to sleep in. This is the work of cultivating. People, we're, we're doing this whether or not we're following Jesus or not. We're, like the creation mandate is what we see as humans do. It's the work of cultivating, of drawing something out. Cultivation, the word culture comes from this word. We're creating a culture with whatever we're doing in our work. When you go to work tomorrow or on Tuesday, remember you're not just a designer with projects to complete. You're actually partnering with God, taking the human project forward. You're not just a mom and dad getting your kids ready for school and reading them a story. You are raising up a generation. It's part of like your creation mandate. Living into your calling. You're not just a contractor working hard days in the heat of summer to build a house. You're actually cultivating the earth, drawing out its potential, reshaping the world as God intended. You are modern day Adam and Eve's. This world and what's left of the garden, and it's your job to take the raw material that's spread out in front of you and to work it, to take care of it, to rule, to subdue, to wrestle, to fight, to explore, and to take God's creation project forward as an act of worship towards him. Remember that before Jesus was a rabbi and known for that, he was a tecton. Like we, we usually say he was a construction worker. But he was a tecton. It means he was a builder. He, just, he, he built things with materials that were around, most likely stone. And for three decades, he's obscure. We know barely anything about him. Working hard six days, resting on the Sabbath as an act of worship, and then doing it all over again. If Jesus came today, I imagine like he'd be like a software engineer or a high school teacher, or a mechanic. What I'm saying in other words <clears throat> is that he could do very well any of the things that we see in our world today, and he would be living into his full, the kingdom of God here on earth. It's a picture to see your job and your vocation, whatever it is today, as actually an act of worship as something holy unto the Lord. Discipleship to Jesus is often about one simple question. If Jesus were me, lived in my city, had my job, my education, my salary, how would I live? Like, how would he live in that position? That's the question for us as we work in the six days of the week. Discipleship is learning about how to become fully human, how to live into our calling to make disciples and to create culture. My question for you this morning is, do you see what you do in the six days of the week? as an essential part of your discipleship to Jesus. And that's the invitation for you today. If you're selling houses, is it part of your discipleship to Jesus? If it's education, is it part of your discipleship to Jesus? Jesus wants to meet you in those places. So what does that have to do uh, with Sabbath? That's what we're teaching here. What does this have to do with Sabbath? And as we end in this, remember that we are God's Salem, his images in the world, we are made to mirror and to mimic what God is like in the world. Last week, we saw that God rests, so we rest. What I want you to see this morning is God works, so we work. And in that, there's rest and there's work. It's in this rhythm of God. They live in a symbiotic relationship. And if we don't learn how to rest well, we actually won't learn how to work well, and vice versa. If we don't learn how to work well, we won't know how to rest well. Here's what I'm saying. 
There's a rhythm in this world, and for six days we rule and we subdue and we work and we draw out. We labor and we cultivate, we wrestle and we fight to the ground, but then we take a step back, and in the practice of Sabbath for 24 hours, we, we enjoy the fruit of the work. We enjoy the fruit of the labor. We delight in God and in his world. We celebrate life. We rest and we worship. The creator, of God, the creator is inviting us to join him in his rhythm, this dance of work and rest. And when we don't like jump into that invitation, we reap the consequences of it. I've seen it in my life. Fatigue, burnout, anxiety, depression, busyness, like starved relationships, worn down immune systems, anger, tension, confusion, emptiness. These are signs of a life without rest, a life not oriented in God's rhythm. In Genesis, Sabbath is the climax of a seven-day cycle, and it's on the seventh day, not the third, not the fifth, but the seventh day. It's the end goal. It's the end goal of labor, what the entire week is moving forward, the climax of an entire day set aside for worship. I can't tell you, as we've practiced Sabbath for a couple years as a family, the way, like, the way our, our, our we're oriented towards like meeting God in that place. I shared this last week, but like we just, we just got done ending Sabbath, and I'm already looking forward to the next one. But I have to, I, like the labor is now to work to it. I don't, get to, I don't get to have it yet. It's now time to worship God in the work of our hands. Even though Sabbath is about imitation of God, we're not in control. We live in God's world. We breathe God's air. We eat God's food. Like we're sustained by Him. Sabbath is actually a practice in our six-day rhythm of working, of stopping, enjoying the work, but also remembering that there's a God and I'm not Him. And it's remembering God's faithfulness. Sabbath is actually an expression of faith. What I mean by that is Sabbath is an expression of trusting God. Trust that there is a creator and that he is good. Trust that there is a God and I'm not him. So to end, as we just end this series on Sabbath, um, I want to invite you, again, like if you haven't heard our teachings through this, like you can listen back on those, but I want to invite you to start and practice this worshipful rest to God. When we, when, we like, when we start practicing Sabbath, it actually changes the other six days. It postures us differently. Remember that Sabbath practice is a practice. It's not a performance. What that means is you don't need to nail it the first time. Start small. If that means we drift off track. It doesn't mean like abandoning the project, but it means coming back on track. There's grace an invitation to enter into rest, to breathe a different kind of air. Uh, I love this, um, as we kind of wrap up, this quote from Wayne Mueller on the Sabbath. He said, like a path through the forest, Sabbath creates a marker for ourselves, so if we are lost, we can find our way back to the center. Um, what I loved about that, just thinking about work, is often in our work we can get lost, maybe in the busy season, or in the season where nothing's working right. And in those moments, like God builds in this rest to recalibrate ourselves that Wade Mueller is getting at here. And so as you go into your work this week, just a few ideas for you. Um, and I want you just, whatever your job is right now, I kind of want you to hold it in your mind. Like hold it here. Um, as like a posture going like, hey God, how do, I, how do I work? How do I work with my like employers or my employees in my business? How, 
Like, how is this worship to you? Just a few ideas. God is hardworking, and so we should be hardworking. Like, God makes beautiful things, and so we should make beautiful things as well. God is joyful and eager and proactive, and so we should be that as well. Joyful, cheerful, proactive. That means, I don't know, like, that means showing up on time. That means um, loving well in your job. God is faithful, honest, and true, so we should be full of integrity in our workplace. Even if it means taking less pay, or even if it means not taking that position, we practice faithfulness in our workplace. Because we're made in the image of God, we're His Salem, His statues, we're to make the invisible God visible. That, that's, that's our role on, like, in life, is to make the visible God visible. Like you are a priest in your classroom or your office or your business. You represent God towards people. You are God's representative. So much of this kind of just comes down to attitude. I don't know if you're going to go out to work after or go out to dinner after this, but sometimes like, like if you've been in a workplace, just some of the attitude just stinks, right? Like it's backbiting or it's, it's bitterness or it's just this get ahead. And so much of us following Jesus in our workplace is just, it like starts with attitude. It starts with just treating and loving people as God has loved us. And just that little thing like sticks out so much differently. On one level, there's no difference between a barista who's a follower of Jesus and one who's not. They both make the same thing, which is a really good cup of coffee, right? On the other level, though, the barista who follows Jesus should go about it with love and humility and a joy that's infectious that makes people around them ask the question of why. I love Paul's line here in Thessalonians. It says this, He writes this to the church, and to make it your ambition to lead quiet lives. You should mind your own business. Man, we need to hear that sometimes, right? Like, mind your own business and work with your hands. Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. My prayer for you this morning as we wrap up my hope is that you see that God's looking for partners. It's an invitation for us that we actually, the work of your hands this week can be an act of worship unto the Lord. And my prayer for you is as we leave this morning that like that sits with you. Like, I don't know what all your jobs are, but if you, what if you turn that knob a little bit aside, this is an act of worship to God. How would that change? How would that change the day? And some of you guys are in really hard situations in work where it's like, I don't want to be here. And you were called to Christ, right? Like if, if there's another job opportunity, like you can take that, go for that. Um, but wherever you find yourself, like I, th- I really believe the Spirit of God wants to form us in those moments, wants to grow us up and mature us in those moments that we see the work of our hands as worship unto Him. Um, as we end, I actually want to do a prayer together, if you guys are up for this. This is um, a prayer of St. Francis. Um, it's attributed to him. It's not really his, but it's, it's a beautiful prayer that um, that I've seen just as like I go through, through a day, it just shapes, it shapes a, like a heart attitude. And so I want to read it to you, and then we're actually going to pray it together before we take the bread and cup. So this is the prayer of St. Francis. I'll read it, and then we'll say it together. Listen to this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me show love. Where there is injury, pardon. 
where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I might not seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. What I love about that prayer is it's this shift of going like, God, how can I love you, God, and love others in a practical way of praying that? So can we pray that together? Um, so I want you to pray, like, again, I want you to hold out your workplace this next week. Um, with that in mind, there's so many things we can pray this about, like our family, um, our relationships, but like, I want to pray it like over the space that you find yourself working. So would you stand with me? Hopefully you can see the screen when you stand, and we're going to pray this together, and then we'll be dismissed to take the bread and the cup. <clears throat> so out loud together, this is the prayer of St. Francis. Let's pray it together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for...